do instead of fear. Have you ever thought about that? Now, as we'll note from our study today, once again, it's not as though fear is a sin in and of itself. It's just that fear leads to sin and is so closely connected with the negative that so many times in Scripture the Lord says, do not fear. And in this particular passage that we're going to look at today in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul says, instead of fear, ask God to produce these things in you. Paul was writing to a young minister by the name of Timothy to come alongside him and sort of be a father figure and a spiritual father and a nurturer. And there was a lot going on in the ministry of Timothy. There was the heightening of Roman persecution under the evil emperor Nero. There was already in the very young church false doctrine spreading like crazy. And there was disunity in some aspects of the church. And from the verse we're looking at today and a few others, some feel that maybe Timothy had a tendency to lean toward the timid and the fearful side of life and needed courage. And so in context, Paul gives them some incredible things to do instead of fear. We're going to look at verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 1 today, but to sort of give you a sense of where this verse falls, I'm going to read verses 3 through 7 where Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that now also lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, or your version might say fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. As we look at this passage today, the first thing we note uh, that's on your outline this morning about what to do instead of fear refers to the first half of verse 7, and, and that's number one on your outline, and it's this, to understand the source of your fears. Where did fear come from? Well, we, we get in no unclear fashion the answer to our question right off the bat, at least in, we know where it didn't come from. In verse 7, Paul says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. That word spirit, some have wondered how to interpret that word, and some have said, could that be a reference to the Holy Spirit of God? Most interpreters think that the reason that, it, that it's translated with a small s is because the, the term spirit also refers to your inner being. And so likely here, he's talking about an attitude, an inner quality, an inner sense of God did not give you an inner sense of fear. So A, under number one this morning, we simply remind ourselves that God is not the author of fear. So the source of our fears, we first of all know, is not God. And, and that's a great reminder because as fear seeks to win in our life and seeks to have the final word, when we sense 
fear leading us to do things contrary to Scripture, we can speak up to ourselves and say, you know what? This crippling emotion right now that's overwhelming me, I know from God's Word that this is not from the Lord. I had an interesting week, and it's incredibly unusual for me to go to Washington, D.C., especially to want to go to Washington, D.C., but some of you know our wonderful congressman in the area, a represent, U.S. Uh, Representative Daniel Webster. And uh, he's been to our church a few times and is a great man of God, a member of a Baptist church in Orlando. And he uh, basically invited me to pray at a venue there in Washington. And so I led in prayer. And uh, it's interesting also that I got to meet that morning with a friend of mine that's a U.S. congressman from Oklahoma. Now, he's not a lifetime politician. He is a, we went to seminary together. He's a preacher like myself. But a few years ago, there was, an openness in his seat. there was an open seat in his district in Oklahoma City. And one night, the Lord was saying to him, he sensed in his heart, in his spirit, the Lord was saying, get ready. His name is James Lankford. You may have heard of Representative Lankford before. And I have to call him Congressman Lankford now, not little red-headed James. But anyway... I was saying, could you fill me in? I sort of know a sketch from things I've read and things I've heard, but tell me more of how you wound up here. And he says, okay. God laid on my heart, get ready. And then I hear the news report that our district representative is running for the governor of Oklahoma. And now she is the governor of Oklahoma. Well, there was an open seat. And all of a sudden he says, is this what God has for me? He's like, man, I've, he's never run. He said he never ran for student council. <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't have any fundraising. And his wife came in one night and he was on the computer and she said, what are you doing? She go, he goes, I'm actually looking at local congressional district information. And she said, is God leading you to run for Congress? He's like, maybe. <laughs> so what he did was he, they prayed about it together for one month. At the end of that month, they got with eight of their closest Christian friends from their church and said, this is something God is laying on my heart, I think. And I'm asking you, if you would pray with me about it and not tell me what God is doing because you can't read God's will for me, but would you just say, tell me within a few weeks if this agrees with your spirit or not? Am I crazy off my rocker? What is your counsel? And within a few weeks, all eight of them said, you know what, it's a wild idea, but I think the Lord is in it. And so God had laid it on his heart, his wife's heart, eight Christian friends that he was in council with. He's walking out of church one day, and he said to himself, and he said to the Lord, Lord, I know what you're leading me to do. And I know people through the years that have not obeyed you. And he said, I don't want to be that guy. Because I've seen that guy, and I don't want to be him, Lord. So with your help, I'm going to do this. And he says the only thing that was keeping him from running was fear. You know, four years later, he's run for his second term and, and won, and that now he is uh, in the 30% up in the polls to replace the outgoing senator uh, from the state of Oklahoma as well. So it's a really powerful story. He told me recently he got to lead a fellow congressman to Christ, and he is working, so to speak, on another one. They were on a trip together to uh, deal with the border issue in Texas, and he says, Cliff, he's almost about to pray and invite Christ into his life. So he is still in the ministry, so to speak. But I, I found it interesting what he said. He didn't know I was preaching a series on fear. But he said, the only reason I almost didn't run was because I was afraid. Maybe you've been there before. You're going, nope. 
never wanted to run for anything. I don't mean there, but something frightening for you. Maybe you knew that God was leading you to speak to your neighbor. Maybe God knew, you knew that God was moving you into something that was uncomfortable. Maybe to forgive somebody that you flat didn't want to forgive. Maybe he's leading you to finally honor the Lord with your finances and begin giving into the Lord. Maybe there's some area in your life that you know you need to give fully to him, but it's fear that's holding you back. And you wonder, where'd I get this fear? Well, I know where you didn't get it. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of fear. There's something else as we seek to understand the source of our fears that we should know be under number one this morning. Some fear is natural to human nature. That's why I've said uh, early in, in our series when we began several weeks ago, back in July, I said that fear has its good points. <laughs> it really does. In other words, it is fear that keeps a little kid from playing in the street. It's fear that keeps adults respecting traffic laws and electric poles and things like that. So fear can have its strengths to it, uh, but we also should note that not the, the moment you feel fear, it doesn't mean that you've sinned. Some fear simply is natural to your emotions. I found an interesting verse as I was reading through Matthew recently in my devotions, is that fear occasionally can be combined with a positive Christian trait. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 8, and it's after the Lord has re revealed himself to Mary at the tomb, and, and the angel says, he is not here, he has risen, go tell the disciples what he had done, and says, in verse 8 says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Isn't that interesting? Afraid, yet filled with joy. Have you ever been there before? Yes, you've got some fear. But you've got some other things in your heart that are also good. And, and so there's a, a natural sense where every time fear enters doesn't mean that it's all bad. And, and so some fear is of a, a natural to the human nature. But at the same time, we note way back in our very first sermon to this is C under number one, that some fear is the result of sin. In Genesis 3.10, when Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit, the Bible says that they ran and tried the impossible. They tried to hide from the Lord. And as the Lord is sort of calling out Adam, in verse 10, he answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Well, that really wasn't why he was afraid. He wasn't afraid because he was naked. He was afraid because he had totally looked God in the face and said, no, I'm not going to do what you want. I'm going to do what I want to do. You've been there before. That disobedience has led to fear. For instance, let's say you tell a lie, and you know God's word commands you not to lie, but you do it anyway, and you do it on purpose. All of a sudden, you are filled with fear because you're afraid that the, the half-truth you told or the untruth, someone's going to confront you on it, or now you're going to have to spend all this energy covering it up, and all of a sudden, when you, if you were a man or a woman of truthfulness, you could have peace. Even though the truth hurts and the truth is hard at times, there's a sense of peace when you know you did the right thing. But sin injects fear. That's why in the area of sexual purity in relationships, when you have, when you have waited, when you've done things God's way, and you have pursued a life of purity, 
and you followed God's standards, there's a sense of peace on the timing of all that. But when you have misused God's gift of intimacy, all of a sudden fear interjects a relationship because you're wondering about disease. You're wondering about unwanted pregnancy at certain stages and ages of life. And you're wondering if this person is still going to be with me tomorrow. Are they really going to care? We've already broke all these standards. Even if you sort of want to buy into the spirit of the age, it says everything is all right. What happens? Jealousy, fear interrupt the relationship. Why? Because sin leads to fear. That's one reason why you have fears. And D, another reason is this is a really a verse that might require some more further thought and looking from you in 1 John chapter 4, 18. Some fear is the result of judgment or a pending sense of guilt from the Lord. In, in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 18, there's a classic verse on fear that really in context relates to someone awaiting the return of Christ. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is a verse that in essence teaches that if you know Christ personally, then you know his love. You've trusted his forgiveness, but when you've not entered into his forgiveness and have not received his gift of salvation, as you wait for the return of Christ, there is a crippling fear because of the judgment that all will face outside of Christ. And maybe fear has dominated your heart because you know you're not right with God, but the Bible says that perfect love, it pushes fear out of the way. And that's why such a close contact with the love of God is so freeing for us as God's people that it is so incompatible with fear, the unfailing love of God. Also, we might as well call it like it is, E on your outline this morning, some fear is from Satan himself. We're told in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Also, there's a connection with Satan and fear in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, this is about Christ, shared in their humanity so that, his, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And then in verse 15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Satan himself is behind specifically the fear of death and likely many other fears as well and christ came to crush satan under his feet uh, we read in the book of romans chapter 16 verse 20 and ultimately will finally crush him under his feet and he is all about fear and especially that pending fear of death that we looked at last week so this is maybe sort of the morbid part of the sermon but it can be encouraging when we realize, hey, this fear I'm having, this source of my fear is not from God. I, I can speak to my heart by the grace of God and realize this fear will not win. It doesn't have the final word. Well, what do I do then? If God's not given me a spirit of timidity, there are three things as believers that God has given you. In other words, he wants for you, and you simply need to receive them, appropriate them, nurture them, and walk in them. And these three things uh, combine for us to say number two on your outline this morning, that we should pursue a Christian 
attitude adjustment. We get the word attitude from that word spirit. God's given you a spirit of these things, that inner sense. And the first one there, A, is the word power. By God's grace, develop a spirit of power. It's interesting. We, I was uh, in the airport this week, and by the way, the strangest thing happened to me as I was leaving D.C. I'm coming out through security, and I look up and I see a, a very famous Leesburg resident uh, he, who now lives in Bushnell area, but it was Pastor Charles, the pastor emeritus of this church, and his wife Edna Sue. His jaw dropped when he saw me. He was flying in to go preach at a church in Virginia, and I was, fly, I was glad to be flying out. And uh, it was just interesting, though. But as I, Now, if you hadn't been to an airport in a while, you may not have noticed a feature that is all over the place. And that is they have these charging stations for cell phones and laptops and tablets. It's the most crowded area. And I was looking for one because I, and I guess in D.C. with all of the, um, the different ways to suck the power out of your phone, my phone quickly came to nothing. And so I'm looking for one and I barely could find one. And uh, uh, people can come right, sit right next to you and just huddle up and they try to get power. And I thought to myself, man, I wish that believers were more like that in, our, in their spiritual life. Just longing to stay connected to the power source. Here's the thing, we walk around and like, you know what, nobody's perfect. I've tried to overcome this sin, but it's too great for me. And, and we settle for such a low level of the power of God in our life. And I want you to know this morning, it doesn't have to be that way for you spiritually. Why? Because the Bible says he's given you a spirit of power. And power is that inner aggressive dynamic of Christ. It's his forcefulness that's inside you. And he wants you to own up to what you already have in him. The Bible says the Spirit of God has come to spiritually dwell in your heart as soon as you place your faith in Christ. And there is incredible spiritual wealth that you have in him. But we act like we're spiritual paupers and there's no way we can overcome this. There's no way we can ever say no to this. And that's simply not true. And you are as free as you believe yourself to be in Christ because his spiritual power has already been given to you. I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 through 20. It talks about the resurrection power. Paul says, I pray that, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So he's already given you that spirit of power. And he says, you know what? This kind of power is like resurrection power. It's like that kind of power is available to you. I read a story about a missionary in Africa that had a car that was sort of barely working for the last couple of years. He was on the field. And he found the only way to get it started was for someone to give him a, a push off as he tried to start up the engine. Uh, he could either have the kids in the villages where he was living sort of shove the missionary's car and then it would start, or he, he preferred parking on a hill. And so he'd put it in neutral and then he would uh, get, some, get a push and then it would, it would start up every time. 
So at the end of his final term, he's, there's a new missionary replacement. And so he's giving him some training about everything. And he says, okay, also, there's a little trick with the car. You have to give it a push. And it, this reminds me of totally something that I would do. Because he was, this missionary was not mechanically inclined, and the new missionary was. And he goes, sir, just a second. He lifted up the hood and saw that there was a connection that wasn't tightly, tight together. And he simply pushed this connection together closed the lid and said, let me check something, sir. <laughs> Started right up. I, I was reading myself into that story, I tell you that much. And the missionary realized something. The power was there, but he simply was not connected to it. Brothers and sisters, this morning, God's power is available for you if you have a relationship with him. If you know him by faith, the Bible says he's given you a spirit of power. That's why it says in Ephesians 6:10, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power we're also told be under number two a second area of a christian attitude adjustment we need is be and that is love he's given you a spirit of power and of love the spirit of love is a christ-like self-forgetfulness where we become godward other-centered people as i was talking with our congressman congressman webster I, I walked by the office of someone that is a former political opponent of Webster. And I remember seeing commercials about him. And really, I don't agree with this man's politics. And so I walked by his office. I was like, I was like ooh. And then the Lord reminded me, hey, have you ever thought about praying for these congressmen? So I was walking by the, the offices and just asking God for life to prevail and for marriage to be voted for rightly in our, in our Congress, in our Senate. And I began praying for godliness and prayerfulness for our congressmen and women and our senators and our president. And I was asking our congressman, I said, okay, what do you do when you see someone like so-and-so that had all these mean political ads about you? He said, you know what? I go up to him when I see him and I shake his hand and he doesn't want to speak to me, but I sort of make him speak to me. And I said, what, I said, are you guys who, you know, Democrats, Republicans, y'all scrap on the floor about this issue and that issue. I said, when you leave and you see each other in the elevators and in the hallways and in the in cafeterias, what do you do? Is it civil? And he says, mostly it's civil, but there's a few people that won't talk to you no matter what you do. And I, I, I noticed him everywhere he goes. He had a, a, a peace of Christ about him. He had an other-centeredness and a kindness and a warmth that was exuding, exuding Jesus Christ. And, and that's exactly what we need to be. The, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, it says, do everything in love. And that includes driving in love. You know, I, I pray that we would be the men and women in this city that, are, 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 that aren't known for stiffing the waitress, that are known for smiling at clerks, that are known for waving and, and helping and encouraging the, our neighbors as we walk by their houses that we're known and seen as that person that actually cares enough at the office to to stop and, and and pray with someone and then follow up and realizing that you truly did pray to ask how that brother or sister is doing i pray that we would be the people that stop and even if we're no good with cars to help someone on the side of the road that might need our help that we'd be the people that are filled with a self-forgetful other-centeredness that honors Jesus Christ. Why? 
because Jesus said that they will know that you are my disciples by their love. But what if you don't feel any love? What if we feel hatred, fear, bitterness for people that aren't like us or people that we don't know? You know what we must do? Under B, we must ask God to work his deep love inside us. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul prayed for the Thessalonians, and he said, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. I've prayed that verse for our church, that we would overflow with love for each other. Sometimes people come in our service and we get a note that says, this was the coldest church I've ever been in. No one said a word to me. And then the very next week we'll get, oh, your church is so loving. So we, maybe it depends on what day they come and where they sit and who is by them. But our prayer is that this place would overflow with the love of Christ. And you can pray that for yourself. You ever feel like you leak love at night because you wake up and you don't care about anybody? <laughs> maybe it takes you till about 1030 to give a, a care about anyone. We need to pray, Lord, produce in me your overwhelming love for others because God has given you that spirit of love in Christ and wants you to manifest it. Well, there's something else. Instead of fear, instead of timidity, that we should have and that we should do, and that is the last principle at the end of verse 7 at C, and that is of self-discipline. Some of you are going, okay, please make this one quick. What does self-discipline involve? We're told in Proverbs 25, 28, it says this, like a city with walls broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Remember the fortifying of an ancient city was their, how big and strong their walls are? And if they had big enough walls, they could be protected from enemies without? Well, the scripture says that when we don't have self-control, that when our desires are ruling us, rather than us governing our desires, then what happens is that we're like a city without walls the enemy can just come in and have his way with us you know there it's so easy in our world to be addicted to things i remember one of my older sons was in big church uh, with me and i was a one, an associate pastor several years ago and we were listening to our pastor preach and he was preaching about uh, several different things and he got on addiction he said some of you are addicted to alcohol some of you are addicted to tobacco some of you are addicted to pornography and then he mentioned something that my son had never heard of and you, you all know about the term food addiction that is used to an overuse of food for comfort and uh, some of he, he said and some of you are addicted to food and my son's eyes got big because he loves to snack, and he loved to eat, and he looked at me, and he pulled him up, he goes, Dad, Dad, what? He goes, I think I'm addicted to food. <laughs> I was like, son, it's okay, but we'll talk about that later, maybe like much later. But in his mind, all he could think about was what he was going to put in his mouth next, you know, and, and I thought, I think it's interesting, sometimes we make so many excuses and concessions for ourselves. The truth is, is that we need to be men and women who, who are by the help and grace of God, are not governed and mastered by our desires. To where we're not given to laziness. That we're using money in a God-honoring way. That when we have a desire within us that we know is not from God, that we don't yield to it. I mentioned purity earlier in the message. But in our culture, purity is basically the common, impurity is the common accepted standard. I was speaking with one of our senior adults, um, uh, Brother Her Huggin' Herb, Huggin' Herm Hoagie, 
And uh, he was telling me that when he and Barb got married in central Indiana in the 50s, that he went t- about 20 miles away to get uh, a hotel room for their honeymoon night. And the hotel owner said, I'm not going to rent you a room, son. He goes, I don't see a wedding ring on your finger. And he goes, well, I'm getting married next week, and I just wanted to reserve the room, make my reservation, and pay up. He goes, no, you can't do that. So a week later, he took his mother there with him, and she said, listen, Herm is getting married on this date. And the man went ahead and gave them a reservation. He said, son, I need to see a certificate of marriage. I need to see your marriage license when you come here to rent this room. You think things have changed just a little bit? Rumor has it that people in Lake County are letting people come into hotels without marriage license proof. Yeah. Do you know why? Because impurity and, and, uh, and sex before marriage and sex during marriage with other people and anything goes in our culture, that has replaced God's word. But the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, that it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable. Well, what if your desires are just going berserk? The Bible says control your desires in a way that's holy and honorable. So the point is this, under C this morning, to trust God to help Govern your desires before they govern you. I put the fruit of the Spirit verse Galatians 5 there because Galatians 5, it tells us that one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control, meaning that the Spirit wants to produce in us that grace of self-control. So this morning, if you feel governed by your desires, ask the the Spirit of God, make this your prayer, Lord, produce in me self-control in this area in my life. Lord, give me your intense passion that my desires may be curbed and conformed with your desires. Whatever the area, whatever the struggle, God has given you a spirit of power. He's given you a spirit of love, and he's given you that spirit of self-control. So don't let fear win the day. There are so many incredible things to do instead of fear. This morning, as we consider God's word right to our hearts, I'd like us to take a moment and bow together before the living God as we bow before him this morning and enter into a time of response. What will be your response to the living Lord this day? The scripture tells us whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe you've never come into that saving relationship with Christ. Let today be the day of salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it is 2014 real. That it's not an antiquated book that used to relate to people's lives back in the day. That you speak to our hearts this morning with your unerring truth. I'd like to pray that your word would do its work in your people today. And make a name for yourself in the process. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.